Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and before we get into the study, I'd just like to share on a topic that the staff has been getting some questions on, and, and I'd like to address the series Chosen that is being promoted in many circles. Uh, I actually got stopped in a grocery store, and before I left, the person asked me about the Chosen. And so we thought as a staff, you know, it's just a good idea now to address it. We haven't had a lot of questions, but recently been getting a lot of questions. So, okay, we're going to address it. So as a staff, we have discussed the biblical issues with the series. So I'd like to let you know what the church's stance is in order to protect the flock. And guys, this is what it's all about. You do what you want to do on your own time. But as the pastorate, as the staff, we are called to protect the flock. And when we see something obvious, then we're going to bring it up. We do not endorse it in any way. Although it is a series about the life of Jesus and does make some very good viewing, We need to look behind the scenes to make sure that it is something that we should endorse as believers. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22 says, Do not quench the Spirit. So that's the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is doing a work, we don't want to quench that. We don't want to stop that and say, No, 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 don't do that in my life. This is speaking to Christians here, not to the world. This is speaking to Christians. Do not despise prophecies. Do not despise the Word of God. Prophecy in the New Testament is predominantly foretelling the Word of God, not foretelling. Foretelling is predominantly in the Old Testament, prophecies. Now, there are some prophecies in the New Testament, but predominantly the New Testament is foretelling. So when you hear that phrase or that word, it's basically don't despise the Word of God. And that's what's taking place in our culture today. They are despising the Word of God. And it is not new. Uh, Europe, 150, 160 years ago, was packing out cathedrals with no air conditioning, no amplification, packing them out. People were coming to Christ by the thousands. In just a few short years, they're now uh, coffee shops, they're mosques, they're museums. They are not being packed out. So don't be surprised at what's taking place in America where churches are closing down literally by the thousands. Do do your homework. Every year, a few thousand churches, Christian churches close. We're seeing exactly what took place in Europe. But God always has a remnant. Now, there are people in Europe that love Jesus and are serving Jesus. I'm not saying that, but it's a remnant. Test all things, hold fast what is good. You know, in that, uh, I think it was a book, The Shack came out. We got on that really quick because there was a lot of confusion going on. We did not endorse it then and we will not endorse it now. Heresy. I personally believe it's heresy. Verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. 1 John 4, 1 through 3, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. This is for all of us, not just the pastorate. This is for you. This is for every Bible-believing Christian, whether they are of God, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John is sharing this back in the 90s. He wrote his epistles, Revelation, the gospel in the 90s, the original 90s. So within 60 years of Christ's resurrection, John is already saying, hey, there's many false prophets out there. 
many false prophets. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. In other words, Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God. Not just a great prophet, not just a really good teacher, not the spirit brother of Lucifer. Okay, it's very, very important. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. That's for you and I to test. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Again, this is already taking place in the early church. People trying to creep in. So behind the scenes, do your homework. This is not up for debate. This is where the church's stance is. The Mormon religion, as well as the Roman Catholic Church, connection with the series is extremely heavy. That alone is enough to question endorsing the series. As most of you know, the Mormon religion, and again, we don't bash religions around here, but we teach the truth. And we try to teach it in love. The Mormon religion believes that Jesus is literally the spirit brother of Lucifer. That brings Jesus down to a created being. That negates anything in the New Testament that says Jesus created all things. That's a major problem. The Roman Catholic Church has elevated Mary, the mother of Jesus, to co-mediatrix or co-mediator, which means you can pray to Jesus or to Mary to get your prayers answered, as well as to many other saints you can pray to. That's a major problem. As I read my Catholic Bible and I went to the priest and said, hey, our Catholic Bible says there's one meteor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Why do we pray to these other people that are dead? That's necromancing. Now, now, son. I was in my early 20s. I even knew what he was thinking. You don't know a whole lot, boy. But church tradition and our church fathers have taught us that this is acceptable. I don't, I don't care about church fathers if pastor chuck came out with something like that i wouldn't endorse it and he was our church father of calvary chapel he started calvary chapel you have to take a stand for the word of god and for christ alone so i'd encourage you to do some research about these two major issues and who is involved with the series you see both religions believe that you can work your way to heaven as well by the way you can work your way to heaven no you cannot If the staff is wrong scripturally, please come and let us know what scriptures would support an endorsement of the series. Again, I know even speaking here, some emotions might be rising in you right now. And uh, emotions come and go. Please bring scriptures, not emotions. The world right now is running on emotions. They want to drive your emotions. The world right now is going to be endorsing Maybe you don't know this, but it is going to happen because I mentioned about three months ago, and they mentioned it again this past week, a global vaccine passport. And if you do not have the vaccine, you will not be able to fly to another country. Hmm. That sounds a little bit like control, doesn't it? That sounds like a little bit of one world control. Since the vaccine, the pandemic was a hoax anyways. But that's where we're heading, guys. Because the series is based on the life of Jesus and not about someone else's life, we need to take the message way more serious. This is not about John Wayne. This is about Jesus the Christ. 
and understand the ramifications of endorsing this series. It's basically trying to say that we all worship the same Jesus, we all worship the same God, which we obviously do not. We do not. And so again, due to those two easily identifiable scriptural issues, this Calvary cannot and will not endorse this series at all. Notice I said this Calvary. If other Calvaries endorse it, that's between them and God. If other churches endorse it, that's between them and God. We as the pastor have to stand accountable to God for this Calvary, not for any other Calvary. There are other scriptures as well, but for the sake of time and for those two major issues that I just spoke about, it is your responsibility to be a Berean about this series using the Bible, not your feelings, the Bible as your guide. So, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We thank you that your word makes it clear cut. There is only one Jesus. And he is king of kings, lowercase k. And he is Lord, capital L, of lords, lowercase l. Every knee shall bow to your son. Every knee. And proclaim that your son is Lord. Father, we thank you and praise you that you have touched our hearts and opened our minds on this side of heaven to know that truth and that we willingly submit to your authority, even as we sang songs this morning, that we willingly submit to what you would have us to do, that we might be more like Jesus, not compromising, not giving any room for the enemy to come in. As Revelation 13 tells us, there is going to be a one-world government, a one-world economic system, and a one-world religion. And we are being conditioned. We are being conditioned with those right now, Father. So give us wisdom, give us discernment, and that we would speak the truth in love and stand, take a stand in these last days for your Son and for the Word of God. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching this morning as we go over these verses. For every heart listening, watching, those who might get a CD down the road. Father, we pray for anyone in this room or watching again that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that you would remove the spiritual blinders, that their eyes would be open, that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, and that there is no other way of getting into heaven except by faith, accepting Jesus as their Savior. Father, we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, if you're new or visiting, we've been going through 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And so we find ourselves, uh, after the holidays and other breaks, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. But let's go back to 2 Corinthians 10, 1, uh, to get the context of our text. Now, I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in present am lowly among you, being, but being absent am bold towards you, But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I attend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Very important, even as we get into our text this morning. If you're new to the Bible, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us as believers, but we also have what is called the flesh, those ungodly desires 
Uh, so it's called the flesh, that war against the word of God, that can even war against the Holy Spirit dominating my life. So he goes on in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or not fleshly. I can't pull out a sword. I can't pull out a gun uh, and defeat the enemy. It's in the spiritual world, so I need to be in my knees. I need to be in the word of God. I need to be praying but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Notice that, so important. If you have a stronghold in your life, alcohol or drugs or abusing prescription drugs or anger or swearing or whatever goes against the word of God, you can get over that. Don't blame your parents, your heritage. Don't blame anything. Through the word of God and prayer, you can get over that, but you have to... You have to surrender it to God so that God takes it down. Notice what looks, notice we have our part, but God will take it down. Verse five, casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So notice as we've talked about before, that dual responsibility, man's responsibility, God's responsibility. We do have our responsibility. We should be in our Bibles. We should be praying. We should be memorizing. We should be meditating. Not out of guilt or condemnation or I'm gonna lose my salvation if I don't. None of that nonsense. Out of a relationship. We wanna know more about God we want to know more about me, my, sin, my desperately wicked heart, that I might surrender more to God, that Jesus, that I'd be more like Jesus, as Paul's going to get into here in the following verses. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? Again, Paul is writing to the Christian here. If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, do you believe that you're a believer? Do you believe that? Let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, you're a Christian, even so we are Christ or we are Christians. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification or building up, and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For by his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily present is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will be also in deed when we are present. You see, over our last few studies in 2 Corinthians, we've been studying about spiritual warfare. And again, it's been a few weeks. The scriptures show us very clearly that this is taking place and more than we probably realize and even understand. But the scriptures show us how to deal with these unseen forces who are accusing us before our God day and night. Revelation chapter 12. Read your Bible. Revelation chapter 12, day and night. We are to fight these forces through the word of God and through prayer. Two unbeatable forces that are to be used by the Christian. You see, Paul has been using these two forces in his life. And he is showing the Corinthians that he will continue to use them even though there are those in the church who are speaking out against him. He's not going to get into a physical battle with those who are speaking out against him. And a couple questions came to my mind as I read this text. I'm like, who would dare speak out against the apostle Paul? 
I mean, come on. Who would dare challenge this man who has traveled thousands of miles by boat, by donkey, on foot? I mean, whatever it took to get the good news of the gospel out. I mean, who would dare challenge such a man? You know, John 12 tells us this. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, speaking of Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest he should be put out of the synagogue. You see, the religious elite at that time had said, if you follow Jesus, if you confess that Jesus is God, the Son of God, that he's the Messiah, you will not be allowed to go to the synagogue, you will not be allowed to come to the temple. You'll be ostracized. Why? And so what took place? Verse 43. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. See, that's a very interesting verse in the days that we're living in. We can find ourselves in the exact same position, not taking a stand when we should take a stand because we're more concerned about what somebody might say about us than what God would say about us, whether it's on social media or in our workplace or in our neighborhood. Again, speaking the truth in love, in love, speaking the truth. This is still prevalent in our society, unfortunately, even to this day. You see, we're going to see this morning that there were the the ones who were looking for the praise of man instead of the glory of God in the church at Corinth. And that's what Paul is dealing with. In verse 6, as you read the word, you will find yourself growing in the word and being ready to punish. And look at verse 6. And being ready to punish all disobedience. When your obedience is fulfilled, when you have more of the Holy Spirit to get over whatever you're trying to get over, you will keep that in check. Your disobedience will have to obey you you will find yourself growing in the word. When this happens, you will find yourself becoming obedient to the word, even when others might speak against you. I can guarantee you there are people right now in this room that might not be following the study any longer because you're hung up about the chosen. That's just reality. Been doing this for a long time. That's just reality. Check your emotions and stay focused on what God has for you this morning. It's not about the chosen. It's about our walk in Jesus Christ. And that we're not going to compromise to the best of our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to compromise. But we're going to take a stand for truth. And as we do that, we will find ourselves growing, but it will be uncomfortable. It will be uncomfortable. You see, it seems so simplistic because it is so simplistic. Simplistic. But we often find ourselves fighting a spiritual battle using physical means. In verse 7, you know, Paul starts to address those who play right into the hand of the enemy. You see, people will often fail in the area of spiritual warfare because they're not looking at the outward. I mean, they are looking at the outward appearance of a given situation instead, instead of seeking out the spiritual aspect of that situation. So again, we'll just use Chosen as an example. Again, I, I, we watched the first three or four shows, and after that I'm like, what is this nonsense all about? A bunch of women camping with the disciples? Mary hooking up the meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus? Not even close. Not even close. That would never have happened culturally. That would not have happened. So you have to be careful, and we, and we shut it down. There's no more of that. That's nonsense. 
But it seems like a good cause. People are reaching people for Jesus. Are they? The real Jesus? The one and only Jesus? Is that what's really taking place? Or is this now endorsed by the Mormon church? It's on BYU television. Hmm. Would they endorse something about the real Jesus? Nope. Satan would not allow that to happen. Worship the false Jesus. Get focused on the false Jesus. You can work your way to heaven. Mm. Not a good situation. You see, Paul very early on in his first letter to the Corinthians brought this aspect out in 1 Corinthians 1.12. Now this I say that each of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And then the super spiritual one said, hey, I only follow Christ. I only follow Jesus. They were picking out pastors to follow. Paul rebukes them for doing that. They're just men. Those pastors are just men. You stick around here long enough, I will disappoint you. I guarantee you right now, if you're new, stick around. I'll disappoint you. Don't elevate me. I'm just a human being trying to be more like Jesus. You be a human being, you will disappoint me. Will I love you? Yes. We just get along. That's okay. We all fall short of the glory of God. You see, they were looking at the external and picking a pastor to follow. And then there were those, again, as I've, as I've just mentioned, who are super spiritual. No, I'm just following Jesus. You see, Paul didn't look at the external, but looked to the internal. He knew, he knew that he belonged to Christ. And the fruit of his life in the ministry had given everyone ample evidence. Just follow Christ. Walk like Jesus. This is what he is going to start sharing with the Corinthians. Not everyone who says that they are following after Christ are actually following after the ways of Christ. Notice I didn't say not everyone who says they're following after Christ are, are Christians and they're not Christians. I'm not insinuating that at all. Not insinuating that at all. As Christians, we can get off one degree. Any one of us in this room, we can get off one degree. You leave San Diego, Hawaii does not exist on a cruise. You're off one degree, Hawaii is not there. Any one of us, myself included, can get off one degree. I'm just saying, are we seeking after the ways of Christ? Because that's what we're here to learn about, the ways of Christ. Not the ways of the pastorate, not the ways of, of one another per se, but the ways of Christ. This has to be especially taken into account with the teachers of the word. Verse 8, For even as I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which God gave us for edification, and again, that word is architecture, building up, so not tearing down, but building up, and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. You see, often people will come along and try to influence our lives by playing the power game. Well, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor, and you should know that I know what I'm talking about. Feel free to check me. Feel free to lovingly bring me any scriptures that I'm not teaching properly because I am not perfect, and I want to be right. So if I say something... Feel free, but not your emotions. Bring me the scriptures. Bring me the scriptures. You see, power can be a very dangerous thing when placed into the wrong and or immature hands. It's all about the Holy Spirit and pointing to Jesus. So the question needs to be, is this person trying to influence me for the good? You see, here we see that the Lord's influence, power, or authority is to be used to build people up, 
not to tear them down, as Ephesians 4.29 encourages us to do. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impact grace to the hearers. Notice with what I just shared this morning, I did not attack those who are producing it or filming it or playing it out, saying they're bad people, they're not Christian, they're this, they're that. I didn't do that. That would be destructive. I'm trying to edify you. Search the scriptures as far as the church's stance. We're not going to endorse it. And we have scriptural reasons for that. Many scriptural reasons for that. So you have to determine where you're at with Jesus. Verses 9 through 11, lest I should terrify you by letters, for his letters, they say. Now these who have creeped into the church and are trying to put Paul down are trying to take people away, make disciples after themselves, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Hmm. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. You see, here we see one of the accusations of the false teachers. Were they Christians? I don't know. They could have been. But they're trying to influence the Corinthians by having them look at Paul's outward appearance. Paul's outward appearance. You see, Paul might write a powerful letter, but his appearance is anything but impressive. Anything but impressive. How often do people look at someone and make a judgment based upon their external experience? Unfortunately, happens all the time with all of us. We all do it on a regular basis. And it's happened to me over the years in the ministry. Some people will see that I teach in blue jeans, you know, wearing casual shirts. What could he possibly know about the gospel? Some people are looking for a tall, good-looking, well-educated man, one who maybe has a few letters behind his name, one who can orate the scriptures with eloquence. This is what Paul is addressing here. One who can make them laugh, entertain them with stories and analogies, captivate them with illustrations. You know, unfortunately, we just see this happening in the church today under the banner of Christianity. See, many are within the church are seeking after a feel-good message delivered by a feel-good kind of guy. Paul wasn't that kind of guy. His physical appearance would not have been impressive to anyone. We know that he had a formal education, but it sounds like he lacked the delivery of such. He knew the first five books of the Bible were perfect. He was a Pharisee. He was the elite of the religious elite. But from history, his physical description from history sounds like more of a beat-up Woody Allen and not a stout and strong Arnold Schwarzenegger. But if those who were accusing him of not having any power wanted to see his power, then he was willing to show them that power when he visited them. And that would not have been good. But in dealing with power, Paul makes this very important principle that we should take note of here in verse 12. Notice, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they... Measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. 
You see, the Holy Spirit through Paul tells us that it is never a wise thing to look at someone else and compare yourself against them. This can happen in anyone's life and does happen probably more than we'd like to admit. You see, when I go to a senior pastor's conference where there are eight or 900 pastors gathered from Calvary chapels from around the world, there is always that question that someone will eventually ask. It happens every single time, which I personally will try to avoid at all costs. How many people do you have attending your church? And I usually will shake my head and say, I, I don't know. We don't have a role. Um, I don't take attendance. I don't know. I'm not belittling and making fun of them. I'm just saying, I don't. I don't know. So I'll say, you know, I don't know. Four or five, six hundred men, women, children. Something like that. I don't know. What's the difference? Pastor Chuck taught us decades ago, if God gives you 50 sheep or 5,000 sheep, you love on those sheep. You don't worry about the number. You just love on those sheep. Because God has given to each pastor a set number. And I'm very happy with what God has done here. And I have no desire for a mega church. No desire whatsoever. I love the intimacy of this place. I love getting to know some of you. I, don't, I, I apologize. I got a two-week memory. If you come up for prayer, make sure you let me know what your name is. Uh, a gal who had been tending here for years came up and asked for prayer. And I looked at her and I'm like, as she's giving me her prayer request, my brain's going, name, 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 name. And I was listening. You know how your brain can do that. And when she finally stopped, I said, I'm sorry. She goes, no, no, we've been coming here for years. I go, I know, what's your name? I'm just misplacing it. I haven't said it in a couple weeks. What's your name? <laughs> it's just the way it is. Don't beat me up, it's just the way it is. That's my, I think that's my thorn in the flesh. Hmm. Verse 12. You see, the Holy Spirit through Paul tells us as never wise thing to look at someone. Mentioned that already. Mentioned that. Got to read my own notes here. You see, I get lost. But it's about numbers for some reason. Now, there's nothing wrong with bragging about the Lord, and I do that a lot. But we as pastors need to check our hearts and make sure that we're not bragging about what the Lord is doing in our midst and not boasting about the, our flesh. You know, our flesh did what the Lord did. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit did what the Lord did. I just happened to be used of him. You see, as pastors, we, are, we have a shepherd as well because we're sheep. And I find it interesting that the Bible equates us with sheep because they are one of the dumbest and helpless animals on the face of the earth. Do a little research. They are one of the dumbest and helpless animals. If they get, if they get in a gully, a, even, a, even a minor ditch, and they fall on their back, they don't know how to right themselves. They'll just lay on their back. Bah! Help! Help! They can literally die. They can literally die in that position. If you don't take them to different pastures, they will destroy the pastures. They will pull everything out of the ground and it will literally destroy the pasture. Take years to get it to, to, to come to growth again. Isaiah, uh, Psalm 100 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. He is it is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Go easy on the pastorate. If you've come from a different church, go easy on the pastorate. They're just sheep. They tried their best. And if you have issues with them, I say this often, you go back and address those issues. 
Don't bring those issues to this church. You go back and lovingly address those issues. Show them grace and mercy. And if you still need to leave, so be it. But remember, they're just sheep. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all, all of our sins placed upon the Messiah. 1 Peter 2, 25. For you are like sheep going astray. Peter writing to the Christian. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, that's who I'm ultimately accountable to as well as to all of you, but ultimately I'm accountable to him, and you are accountable to him as well as to us as well. This is not one-way street here, guys. I think oftentimes that's the way the church thinks about it. It's just a one-way. It's not a one-way street. You are accountable to one another and to me as well. We love each other. Why? Because we want to be more like Jesus. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So important, following Jesus. And if there's somebody else that's doing something Christian, yeah, great, follow them, as Paul said. Follow them. Don't dissect them, follow them. But if there's an issue, go to them in Matthew 18, love, grace, mercy. For with the judgment you extend, you'll be judged by, Jesus said. If we do it like we do around here, we don't have a lot of drama around here. Because we do things biblically, lovingly, graciously. And that's what I love about this size church. You know, mega churches only make up 1% of the church. Mega churches. A mega church is 2,000 people or more. 2,000 attendees or more make up a mega church. They make up 1% of the church. Average church size in America is 50 to 75 people. 50 to 75 people. And a majority of those pastors are bivocational. They have to work full time as well as shepherd the sheep. Be gracious, (laughs) love on them, encourage them, strengthen them. Now, since I've talked about myself, maybe we can mention women. Right, ladies? Not that a woman would ever compare herself with another woman. Doesn't happen, right, ladies? You know, I'd like to be very open with the females here for a moment, young as well as old, as a spiritual father should be. You see, if you compare yourself amongst each other as Christians, or even worse, compare yourself with a worldly woman, you will never be smart enough, you will never be pretty enough, you will never be fit enough, you will never be, you will never measure up to that image that is portrayed, because it is a false image. And then sometimes you will make a very poor choice based on comparing that later on you will regret, rather Be a Christian woman who desires to dress modestly, not showing yourself off to the rest of the world. Because the scriptures tell us that your body is for the Lord, not for the rest of the world to gawk at. 1 Peter 3 says this, Do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging of hair, wearing gold, and putting on fine apparel. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's not what Peter is saying. As you read the rest of the scriptures, it's just don't make this your main focus. Don't get caught up with the world. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. You know, many, several decades ago, Claude and I had this phrase and we still have it to this day, let's grow old gracefully. We're just gonna grow old. Nobody can stop that. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Just grow old gracefully. Do it with love, grace, and mercy. 
You see, as we're mature about this, addressing, mod- addressing modesty inappropriately can be a problem within the church, but it shouldn't be. But it can. And why has it become a problem? Again, let's be open and mature about this. It's because we've allowed ourselves to compare ourselves against someone else. We've come down to the world's standard instead of seeking after the heavenly standard and encouraging the younger women in the Lord to reach for that as well. Spiritual warfare is taking place in our lives and we're not even aware of it at time. Well, how about the guys? Do the guys compare themselves at all with other guys? You see, they don't look at themselves in the mirror, suck in their gut. (laughs) Still got it! You see, overall, men don't compare themselves in the same way women do. Typically, men compare themselves against each other by the number of toys or tools that they might have in their garage or the house that the garage is attached to or the job that provides for the house, the garage, and the toys that are within the garage. Or maybe they compare themselves by the amount of power or prestige that they possess, which is not a good idea at all. Let's look at Luke chapter 12. Let's look at Luke chapter 12. I'm making a lot of friends here this morning. Luke chapter 12. But remember, I picked on myself first, the pastorate. You see, pastors can find themselves comparing not only their private lives, but their ministries as well. Luke chapter 12. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? This wasn't in my notes, but do us all a favor. If you don't have a will, get a will. Do us all a favor. I've been around several families where if somebody dies or both parents die, and all of a sudden, man, the nails come out, and it's just ballistic, and families do not get along at all. So sad. So sad. Get a will. Get a living trust. Get that in order. Don't do that for, to your kids. But he said to him, man, see? It's the 60s. Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Jesus now, take heed and beware of covetousness, which this is interesting, the sin that Paul mentioned about his own life, covetousness. Hmm. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Notice that, men. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have room to store my, no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But, God said to him, fool, unlearned one, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? The kids, and they'll ruin them. They'll just ruin them. Verse 21, so is he who lays up treasure, here's the point, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So does does that mean that we shouldn't have nice things? I'm not insinuating that at all. We are very, very blessed compared to the rest of this world. But the whole idea is, where's our focus? That's the whole idea. Where's the focus? If you're out of focus, get refocused. Get refocused. 
See, why do we find ourselves comparing ourselves against someone else anyways? I mean, you really have no idea what that person is like. Except what Paul has already shared about us in verse 7. Do you look on things that are outward appearance? Notice verse 7 there, 2 Corinthians. We look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. Speaking to all of us, male, female, and there are only two, a male and a female. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? But every now and then when we do compare ourselves with someone else, we can end up feeling pretty good about ourselves. Now you might have to dig a little bit, but there's always someone else you can look down upon. That's basically what these false teachers that come into the Corinthian church were doing. And the Holy Spirit says it's not wise, not at all. And I've actually seen this take place, not in this church that I know of, but I actually have seen this in other churches where people will come in and they'll start talking bad about the pastorate. And they'll try to get people around them to start talking bad about the pastor. And they'll try to draw people away so that they can have their own little flock down the street or take them to a different church. Be very, very careful that we don't compare each other. Let's just be more like Jesus. We should always use the life of our Lord as a gauge, comparing ourselves against his life, for that is who we should become more like. Matthew 5.48 says, Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Does that mean sinless? No. None of us will ever be sinless. We should be sinning less, but none of us will ever be sinless. It's defined as complete, mature. Just become more complete, become more mature. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit, notice capital S, so that's the Holy Spirit, and where the Holy Spirit is, there is liberty. So you have liberty to watch whatever you want to watch. You have liberty to drink whatever you want to drink. But is that beneficial? Is that good? Is it right? But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from, the glory, from glory to glory, just as by, by who? The pastorate? Spirit of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord could use the pastorate. The Spirit of the Lord could use your neighbor, your unsaved neighbor, to hone you a little bit. The Spirit of the Lord could use a little child to mature you a little bit. The Holy Spirit can use anybody. But predominantly for you as a believer, what the Holy Spirit desires to use, this is to be your mirror. And as you read it from Genesis to Revelation, you're looking at it and you're going, ooh, that's not good. I don't want to do that. Ooh, that's good. I like doing that. I'm going to do that. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit convicts you and not only convicts you, gives you repentance to repent. And not only does that, he gives you then the power, if you ask for the power, to become more like Christ. Verses 13 and 14. 2 Corinthians 10, 13 and 14. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. You see, the false teachers who had come into the church at Corinth were now pastoring sheep that Paul had pastored. They were trying to steal them. They had not gone out to areas where the gospel had not been preached to reach the lost. They were coming along to feed off of the flock, that group of people that were already established and infecting them, infecting them with worldly ideals. Oh, look at Paul. Look at his stature. He can't even talk right. You're going to follow him? No, we're going to follow Christ. 
You see, Paul didn't believe in building upon another man's foundation. Romans 15, 20 says this, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon on another man's foundation. So Paul was not into stealing sheep like we're seeing these uh, pastors trying to do or teachers. Secondly, Paul took seriously those who had come against the simplistic teaching of the gospel in Galatians 5, 12. I could, I could wish that those who troubled you would even, be, would even cut themselves off. Um, and if you don't know the Bible, uh, castration. Ow, hello. Uh, yeah, it's pretty strong words from the apostle, don't you think? He took the word of God very seriously. But this was not just a warning from Paul. In Matthew 18, as we get ready to wrap it up here, Matthew 18, we read this. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, this is Jesus speaking here, guys. Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write this down. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. Hello. You know, a millstone is a piece of rock, very heavy, hundreds and hundreds of pounds, laid on the ground. Then they'd have another millstone that would have a notch in it that would go through a piece of wood and a ox would go around and grind the grain to powder. This is Jesus speaking. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. But woe to that man or woman by whom the offense comes. That's a pretty good exhortation from our Savior himself. So that's why we're taking that strong stance that we've taken. Again, if you have scriptures, come and let us know. Be more than happy to sit down and talk with you about it. We want to be careful what we endorse, and I think you do as well. So I encourage you, do your homework. Do your homework. Father, we just thank you and praise you that we don't have to compare ourselves to anybody else because that is so foolish as Paul is teaching the Corinthians. That is so sort so short-sighted. But Father, we just want to come to you and compare ourselves with Jesus and we'll always fall short. But we know as we do that, you're gracious and you will give us more of your Holy Spirit that we might become more like Jesus. We'll never become a God. We'll never be sinless. But hopefully we are sinning less. Hopefully we're looking more like Jesus each and every day to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family members, to our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Father, that's our ultimate goal, to point people to you and to why your son came. Because your son loves the whole world. To this very day, eight billion people Your son loves every single person on the face of this earth, the human race. So, Father, help us to have that same mentality for those who cross our paths this week. You love them and you desire a relationship with them. Help us not to compare. Help us not to compare churches. Help us not to come down to that fleshly, earthly plane. But just to keep pointing people to Jesus. Who is Jesus? Ask questions. Who do you think Jesus is? Get that conversation going. That we might pray with someone, encourage them. And Lord, if it's your will, pray with them to receive Jesus right there on the spot. Your Holy Spirit could do that. 
We would love that to happen. So we just make ourselves available for the mission field in our sphere of influence. Those six, eight, ten people around us that are watching us, listening to us. Help us to be a good witness. We know we'll fail, but help us to just be the best we can through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.